We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How to make 2022 work amidst the crazy fantasy football trends we've seen so far. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find my newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work over at Rotoviz. Sean, the first episode this week, we went pretty long. We talked about what we're seeing around the league. Offense is down. The ways that it's down, the ways that ways that it has shifted. A lot of quarterback running, which chokes up. You know, so much production in certain offenses doesn't leave a lot for the running backs and receivers, a lot of running overall, shorter passes, a lot of things that have impacted fantasy football and made uh, a lot of players very volatile week to week, it feels like. And it, it can feel a little bit like it being pretty tough to predict anything right now. There's not a lot that we're like, this guy smashes every week. He's going to smash again this week. But there are some interesting trends that you had in your notes for this week for for our conversation that I'm excited to dig into. Yeah, and it, it's been such a crazy season. And I talk a lot during draft season about having a relatively tight pro- portfolio of players. And yet, even with that being the case, I have some really good and some really bad teams. The really bad teams element, obviously, is one that's frustrating and pretty unusual. One of the things that I also mentioned in relationship to zero RB is that it's not as risky as people think. In some ways, it's actually a fairly conservative approach. And yet there are teams right now that don't look good at all and have a long way to come back. If you're playing in the FFPC, then you're halfway through in terms of the regular season. If you're playing in other formats, you've got those extra two weeks. Those two weeks could be big. Eight weeks to go in 2022 is a big deal because we're going to see some very different things we got a big win finished second this week on our chasing stolen bananas team that team has not scored well to this point but suddenly now with etn Brees hall and you know the unfortunate rashad penny injury that frees up ken walker it's got some young wide receivers it's got jamar chase who bounced back in a big way i mean that team looks like it could be the best team the rest of the season and so you're excited to see what will happen there there are some teams that still need things to happen to be catalyst to get to where that team is. I find that part really exciting because battling back with teams that are struggling is I think a fun challenge. It's also fun to look at your best teams. There are you know, people out there obviously talking about 
their Mark Andrews teams and getting DeAndre Hopkins back. I have one of those teams. That one is exciting, but I think in many ways not as fun as these teams that are maybe middle of the pack or have some work to do. You and I are in a dynasty league together where we made a fun trade last week where we moved DJ Moore and Damian Harris for Chris Godwin and Daryl Henderson to try and win now, or it's, it's sort of a, a lateral move, but to obviously bring in players who are possibly going to score points last weekend. That part of it worked out, but the rest of the team cratered. So we lose and we fall to the six, seven kind of border. So then there's the question of, you know, do you prefer to get yourself a top pick next season? If you're worried about the young players on your team being a year away, I've gotten a lot of questions about dynasty and what to do on these teams that are loaded with rookie wide receivers, second year wide receivers, tight ends who are ultra athletic and aren't performing. Colin Kelly and I are going to do a big show on that in our next OT episode. I think that one will be fun. It's an interesting discussion that you and I will get to have on what direction do we want to go in our dynasty team. But Ben, as you mentioned it, the volatility of some of the depth players has created the potential to be wrong in your start set decisions in a way that was completely unpredictable. It wasn't something that's going to show up in projections, but you could be wrong on that. One of the reasons that we talk a lot about zero running back and loading up on the wide receivers who are stars early and then loading up on the breakout players in the middle rounds is that once a player breaks out, what you're hoping for is a very playable guy. Not someone who gets you in the situation where one week he scores, he's on your bench, then you insert him in the starting lineup, he doesn't score, you put him back on the bench, and he scores. You don't want to be going back and forth with that all season long, which if you draft veterans in the middle rounds, it's almost impossible for that not to be the case. Obviously, the young receivers have not really developed in the way we were hoping for. We got such tantalizing performances early from Drake London and Garrett Wilson. And from that point, it's been an unmitigated disaster. Their two teams combined for 32 pass attempts last week. Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Chris Olave, Jamison Williams, all injured. Obviously, three of those guys injured in season. Williams were still hoping that he would come back. Obviously, he wasn't someone who was drafted early. But then the biggest dynamic from 2022 is that almost all of the scoring is coming from those first two rounds. You needed to hit in the first two rounds. There are ways to do that and not do that at both running back and wide receiver. But I guess I'm enthused by the dynamic that was a big part of our offseason discussion of drafts where we said early wide receiver and then dead zone running back. That could be the way to go this year. It's a little bit of a contrarian play. It's a little bit of a risky play in some ways. And certainly there are plenty of ways to have done that and had it not work. But when you look at the scoring from the early receivers, big time points in a year where receiver scoring has been hard to come by. And then you look at these dead zone guys. The back that we really liked was Brees Hall. He's RB6. But Josh Jacobs, RB7, despite already having had a bye. Ramondre Stevenson, RB9, and probably rising with... Damian Harris out, and then Miles Sanders really benefiting from this Eagles offense that's been dynamic, but maybe run heavier than we would like. He's RB10. There are four guys really standing out from that area that we usually consider the dead zone. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting. Jacob Stevenson, Sanders, 
in a lot of drafts we're in in that area, but in other drafts we're even further back this year where you could get them in the ninth or the tenth round and felt like that wasn't really a dead zone pick. Hall is the, the very clear one. But yeah, your point about the early needing to have hit on the early rounds. I mean, we, we talked on the last show about not just the changing offensive landscape, but how there's been a lot of sort of volatility and offensive production week to week for a lot of these teams. Some teams are throwing a lot some weeks and then not other weeks. You just talked about the Falcons and Jets combining for 32 pass attempts. I know when I did a bunch of research a few years ago on the really low-end pass attempt numbers, and I don't know if I've updated it in a couple of years, but I remember that something like 28 pass attempts on average was like the, the really low end. Like we're talking lower than fifth percentile for a full season for a team to average. We have multiple teams averaging fewer than that. And you're talking about 32 combined across these two teams. So Garrett Wilson, Drake London, two guys who from a talent perspective, from an immediate usage perspective, look like clear hits, but they're playing in an offense that can't even, or they're playing in offenses that, you know, for, for at least this week, couldn't even combine for much more than the low end that you would expect out of any given team in most seasons in terms of passing attempts. The, the early production, I mean, you look at tight end, I, I, I'm still just sick about the Kyle Pitt stuff, and I, I've gotten a lot of questions about it. We've talked about it a lot. I mean, one of the things that we just talked about before the show is we care a lot more about the advice we're giving to other people. And so, I mean, it sucks for my own teams, but I, I don't know. I can deal with that. I feel particularly uh, bummed for anyone who, you know, drafted Pitts based on my advice, basically. Um, but yeah, that has not panned out. That doesn't mean they're, they're like, you have to understand the bets that you're making and, and there were reasons for it. It is really interesting to look at things like his per route volume numbers and see them very similar to to a guy like Andrews and that gap there being largely driven by the offensive philosophies in both you know both teams. Um, that is something you know we talked about a little bit in in the summer how these offenses would look. That was a big factor in 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 the discussion of tight end. Uh, shout out my buddy Mike Leone, who I did the great projection pods with this summer, and and he made it the best case for Andrews that I had heard to that point, and I talked about it a decent amount, I think, but basically revolving around Baltimore's offense and around Pitts and Andrews being basically similar talents, but feeling like Pitts is – I think the way he framed it was it was going to be hard for Pitts to really bury Andrews, but there were scenarios where you could see Andrews really burying, burying Pitts. And, and anyway, we, we've, we've sort of seen that. Uh, but Kelsey and Andrews, clear hits, obviously, right, from the first first couple of rounds. You go to a receiver, the top five are Cup, Diggs, Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Six is Marquise Brown, who is now injured. Seven is Jalen Waddle, who was, you know, a third-round pick in a lot of the leagues we were in, fourth-round pick in, in others. Those are both guys that were Brown and Waddle that weren't going in the first few rounds, but were still going pretty high. And obviously Brown now being hurt impacts that. Right behind them, Devonta Adams, A.J. Brown, Debo Samuel. So that's the top 10. Most of them first two-round picks, as you noted. Over at running back, the top five are all early picks. Austin Eckler, Saquon Barkley, Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, Brees Hall with six, Jacobs, Ramondre, some of those guys. But Derek Henry and Dalvin Cook also in the top 10. So running back is the one position where there's a few guys performing that weren't super high picks in every league. 
and, and quarterback is the other one where you had to take an early quarterback, right? We've talked about that a ton. Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. Those guys went a little bit later in most leagues, but you still had to take an early quarterback. For the most part, it is the early picks at every position that have been hitting and everything else, and, and largely because of the way these offenses have run, everything else is pretty volatile week to week. There's no consistency, even the ones, like you said, that are breakout hits, no consistency in terms of feeling comfortable starting them, but that's also true of the veterans. That's true of basically everyone other than some of these very top picks that have been fairly consistent. I mean, even the ones that are scoring the most, not even necessarily that consistent, right? I mean, like we look at Austin Eckler, he's been very good the last couple of weeks, didn't necessarily start the season smashing over the first few weeks. I mean, even Cooper Cup, who's been an absolute star, has had a couple of games where numbers haven't been great. He got saved a little bit in week three by a rushing touchdown from a, from a statistical standpoint, only had four catches for 44 yards this past week. Seven for 80. Those are not like massive Cooper Cup lines, but they're they're still good. His range has obviously been very good. I'm trying to make an exaggerated point with him. But and looking at how we could have approached this or would have approached it, this or the optimal way to approach it, I mean, I think you make a, a really good point. Well, two good points. The first one, you needed to hit on your early picks. The second one of all the approaches where there was later talent really succeeding i mean it it really has been waiting on running back a little bit more but it's disappointing because we're not realizing that on every lineup you know we're not realizing that on the teams that have trey lance and kyle pitts you needed to have the lamar andrews stack which i I have in a couple teams or jalen hurts and and preferably either andrews or kelsey but we have some fun teams that have hurts and maybe went late tight end that are still competitive but hitting on Brees Hall, hitting on some of those running backs in the middle rounds and, and later rounds has been pretty huge. There's less of a gap between the really high-end running back scores and the later round running back scores than, say, at receiver, where both Cooper Cup and Stephon Diggs have averaged about 25 points per game. And when you get down to you know, the Marquise Browns even, who wasn't going super, super late, he's at like 18 points per game. We're talking about like a lot of a difference there, seven seven points per game. Yeah, anyway, two good points, but it's one of those things where like even trying to have a discussion about like strategy and what worked and all that, It it's what you said as well that more has to happen. And we've been saying this for a couple of weeks now that the trends that are going to define 2022 haven't happened yet. And now we're through six weeks and they still aren't really happening. but more has to happen, right? Because like, and it will. And I think that it's it's always really dangerous to declare early to declare victory or declare defeat too early. Now, at some point, the season is going to be over, and then you'll be able to see very clearly what worked and what didn't within the context of that season. It was interesting after those first couple of weeks, as you mentioned, that we had even some very big you know, robust running back or stud running back accounts who were capitulating at running back. And, you know, talk about Austin Eckler. He averages 14.3 points per game through the first three weeks. And then over the next three weeks, he averages 31.7. And so suddenly you're right back. We've seen the bounce backs in week five from guys like Derrick Henry, who was on the bye last week. And 
all of a sudden running backs in those early rounds and veteran running backs are looking pretty good. Will they be able to hold on? I think yes and no is going to be the answer. You're going to see some of those guys make it. You're going to see some of them fall off because it's going to be difficult to maintain some of that production that is so unsustainable in the first place. And then you have older guys in these offenses in some cases that aren't that productive. At the same time, you're going to see some young players emerge, not necessarily all. But the big point about any of these early round picks that you missed on or had someone get hurt, I mean, DeAndre Swift has been an absolute dagger because he looked like someone who was going to contribute to teams and be a difference maker and he's out. You cannot cover over that with your depth this season because the depth isn't there. I mean, I think back to some of the most successful teams that I've had in terms of big tournaments and a couple of those teams, including the team that won it all, the second and third round picks from that team went out with injury. And you win because you drafted so many good players. Those players aren't out there yet. And so to kind of take this from our previous episode and look forward with it, I think that number one, have to have some optimism that there's going to be a bounce back in a more positive direction for fantasy and that bounce is going to affect players differently. And that the young players with wider range of outcomes are probably going to be the beneficiaries to a larger extent than veterans who really are only floor plays. Well, and particularly the veterans in some cases that aren't performing, because those offenses from a real world standpoint are going to need to find the answers. We, I, I, I had some somewhat negative comments on Sky Moore last week, but I still think he's very much a hold because MVS has shown they, – they've gotten a lot more of a sample out of MVS and out of Juju and those guys. Sky's a rookie who maybe should be expected to have some growing pains and le- a little bit of a learning curve. And so the Chiefs need to find answers still from a team perspective. And we would expect those answers to benefit teams that probably are going in the right direction. One of the things that was a little bit odd and a little bit frustrating this past week is that Kenny Pickett gets hurt and Mitchell Trubisky plays pretty well, which unexpected from that perspective, but that the benefit goes to Chase Claypool, someone who nobody is starting. Now, there are people who are benefiting from that in best ball, but from a redraft perspective, those points are just go into the vacuum right? Because Chase Claypool is not in starting lineups. You look at players who could benefit. George Pickens has been fantastic until that game. He's someone who has seemingly benefited a lot more from Pickett. You have this weird dynamic right now where Deontay Johnson is drawing a lot of targets and he's actually drawing targets deeper down the field than Claypool, which is bizarre when you think of some of the usage from the past. But the catch percentage and then what that's amounted to, Ben, Deontay Johnson has 30 yards after the catch for the season. For the season, 30 yards. And so we're going to see some of those things move in a more positive direction. We're going to see some of those things move closer to the direction that perhaps you're getting from the Dolphins right now, where you have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle both lighting it up. Waddle would be seeing an incredible season from if he weren't making some really fairly rudimentary mistakes to go with the brilliance. Tyreek Hill, obviously, a superstar and one of those guys drafted in the first couple of rounds. I think that the dynamic for 2022 that makes it so fun is that it's actually going to be 
work. And I say work from the sort of fun perspective of, of play type work, but something that you're going to have to actually go in and interact with your teams, continue to make acquisitions in leagues that allow uh, trades. It's going to be a really fun trading environment because even more than in the past, I think you're going to see teams that need wide receivers, teams that need running backs, be able to get the work done there. But in your starting lineup and how you're pushing forward and not giving up, you're going to have to make a lot of good choices that depend on having some emotional resilience, being able to see the big picture and to work through some of these things. So it's not going to be a, a simple answer, like ignore the offensive context and go forward with the player or ignore talent and try and chase a very specific game script. Taking really simple rules and then trying to apply them across your team and then across a variety of teams, that's not going to work. You're going to have to take a bunch of different steps with a lot of different players, still emphasizing the youth, but also looking at the risk reward of games that could go very crazy in terms of game script, could end up with almost zero passing plays. I mean, you're not going to drop a Garrett Wilson at the same time. You do know that over the next couple of weeks, I mean, he's not playable. And I mean, you've moved into that same dynamic with Broncos wide receivers as well. So you've got a lot of guys who aren't playable. You're going to have to find answers. And I think that that puzzle in 2022 has the potential to be more fun than it's ever been. Well, you're an optimist. Yes. <laughs> That sounds like a headache to me. But you mentioned the Deontay Johnson thing. I wrote about him this week. 5.2 yards per target so far. That yaks that hilarious. Uh, for his career, never been a big yards per target guy, but 6.8 yards per target for his career. The hope was that that would go up because it's below average. And he has been getting higher depth throws, as you mentioned. Somehow he's shaved off about 25% of his yards per target, still earning the volume. Like that, that's just unsustainable. I, I mean, I called it noise and signals and in stealing signals this week, where I highlight the signals and noise. But your point about not having the depth on benches and the answers for when injuries pop up in your starting lineup for the few guys that you do rely on when bye weeks start to hit is really well taken. I mean, that's, and, and as you were just highlighting, I mean, guys like Garrett Wilson are guys you don't really want to cut. I've gotten a lot of questions for people playing in shallower leagues about who to cut, who to add, how to manage their rosters. In these shallower leagues, there's some really intriguing names being cut. There are a lot of intriguing names across the league that are not producing. And so those questions of who do we hang on to, who do we don't, are very difficult to figure out right now. One of the things I'm trying to think of on the teams where I'm behind the eight ball a little bit is I need quicker results. And so players that I do think are long-term holds, like a Sky Moore, for example, who I do think is still probably a couple weeks away. He has a bye coming up the week after next. I wrote this week that he looks like a guy in these shallower home leagues to be looking at adding because he'll probably be cut in a lot of leagues going into his bye in week eight prior to week nine. Maybe coming out of that bye with two weeks of rest, we see sometimes the rookies get a little bit of a bump in the in the post-bye segment of the season. Maybe that's when he makes his mark. But if you're in a really shallow league right now, he's the kind of guy that I could understand 
cutting and moving on from probably a lot of people already have. It's probably not going to be added right away in a lot of casual leagues, right? It's a little bit different and deeper, more competitive leagues. And a lot of people that, a lot of the stuff we talk about is, you know, FFPC leagues and main event leagues. And a lot of people that I know listen are playing in those types of formats. In those types of formats, I'm still clinging to players like Sky Moore as much as I can because you have a little bit more roster space, but you do have to have answers for your starting lineup too. And it is a tricky puzzle. One of the things that's a trap that I don't want to see people fall into, that I have seen some people fall into, is elevating how good some of the producers have been because there's not a lot around them in the league, right? And so some of the years we think more highly of guys because they produced in a, in a landscape where that position was down. I go back to De- Devonta Freeman, 2015. Uh, had a really low RB1 season, but it was a year where all the top running backs got hurt. Adrian Peterson was RB2. He's like the only other one who stayed healthy. And Freeman Freeman was the RB1 by a solid margin. And then Peterson was the RB2 by a solid margin over players that, you know, that played the full season. And if you just look at total points and those things, but all of that was created. I mean, Danny Woodhead was the RB3 that year. I just pulled it up. All of that was created by the running back landscape being so low. And so it sort of elevated what Freeman actually was that year. One of the one of the guys who looks sort of interesting, I'd be really interested in your take on him. I've gone a little bit back and forth with him, but I think is being elevated too much right now is Damian Pierce, just looking at the, the list of, of names. He's been pretty productive, but I mean, 15.6 points per game, not elite. His role has grown and he's been better the last couple of games. And there's room for him to do more as a receiver, and he's been doing more as a receiver. At the same time, he scored in three straight weeks. The Texans are not a particularly good offense. He, in and of himself, looks like mostly an early down runner who's giving up some receiving work on a bad offense that's not going to score a lot of points. He's not going to have a lot of high-value touches. He looks like sort of a trap back. Big workload, though, and has been fairly efficient. I mean, not amazingly efficient. If you pull out that 175-yard TD run against the Chargers, very well-blocked play, barely got touched. Most of his other games have been pretty questionable, you know, yards per carry and things like that. But I look at a guy like him, and people are thrilled to have him, and, and people are really raising his value and talk about him, talking about him very positively in Dynasty as well. And I just think so much of why, where we're viewing him and how we're viewing him is in relation to they're not being a lot of consistently good running backs, right? Other than these last couple of weeks, especially ones that are coming from deeper. I contrast that with like a Josh Jacobs, who I've been a lot more optimistic and positive about in in uh, stealing signals because his role has actually really looked great. And, and he's played really particularly well. I've been pretty excited about him and stealing signals throughout the year. We talked about him a little bit last week, but I'm comfortable being enthusiastic about what Josh Jacobs has done I think there's a line that still needs to be drawn there between him and Pierce, and the line is there in the production, although not as much recently since Pierce's role has gotten bigger. But I think looking forward and looking at what these offenses could be and all of those things, I think you have to be substantially higher on Jacobs on the idea that if the running back position as a whole does rebound a little bit, Jacobs has the potential to to still score within the range of some of the higher scoring backs with the way that he's being used and the way that he's producing. I'm not sure Pierce does. And that same concept applies basically to every position where scoring has to come up in some ways, but then maybe it doesn't have to, which is 
the other really interesting thing you said, sorry, I'm just going to continue going on tangents, but you said we're already six weeks in and then eventually the season's going to end, right? We keep waiting for something to happen, but we've had seasons like this in fantasy football too. And if you look ahead to 2023 and how, what do we do? I think the most important thing to think right now is what we have seen through these six weeks is not common. It's, it's, and we talked about it on the last show, but we don't expect the current offensive landscape to be the way that things are now forever. It is possible, though, that a lot of these trends that have existed over the first six weeks continue for long enough into the season, maybe into seven, eight, nine, maybe into 10 weeks. Maybe we start to see a shift in week 11 or week 12, but it's not enough to really change the full season numbers for a lot of these players. It could just be a year where we wind up with a lot of full seasons that look like noise because it is a small sample. Every NFL season is a small sample. We wind up with a landscape where all off season, the the conclusions that are taken from 2022 and the ways that people are talking about the various positions and what positions were down in scoring and all of these things were influenced by sort of a bizarre stretch of offensive football that extended longer than any of us really expected it to and took up most of the season. And that had such a profound impact on the full season numbers. I mean, football is just a a small sample in general. And and that can extend for a whole year. And that could be the case for all of 22 or the majority of 2022. So anyway, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying to think through both what to do next, how it's going to relate to 2023, because there's a lot of stuff that is not real trustworthy from what we've seen so far this year. I think it's the perfect way to put it that we've seen a lot of things that are not necessarily trustworthy. One of the biggest takeaways from this season, which I do think is an accelerating trend and is going to be something that is actionable both in midseason now and in the future, is that I think that we're kind of exiting this time period where everyone simply wanted to have as much running back and wide receiver volume on your roster as you could and especially you would see that in expert leagues where the starting lineup was minimized to an extent and that's one of the things that we've always really tried to push back with with zero rb is that it's actually a maximizing the starting lineup type of approach and we're trying to get those points in that it's not necessarily a matter of giving up the running back points but we're going to get the total points we're going to get the elite tight end we're hopefully going to have an elite quarterback score that doesn't mean that in every single season you're going to be on the right guys within that group to benefit but over time you're going to have the most powerful teams when your starters are good and qb very clearly we're seeing people have that takeaway as you talk about like last week with the resurrection drafts and having quarterbacks in the first round multiple quarterbacks in the first round i mean we're not that far away from like having the qb2 in a lot of formats go off the board in round seven and the person who was willing to take an early QB would be heckled. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's a massive shift. And I think that that shift, not to, not to the extent of being in the first round, but that shift is going to be one that stays. I did too. I think we're going to see Josh Allen in the second round next year across the board. And it was a situation where, I mean, you do, even the one game gives information. That's one of the things I wanted people to really take from that opening game when they were drafting on Friday and Saturday. When you see the massive performances, the, the QP can influence you know, what you're doing and, and lead to that win. 
as we're going forward from here, I think that emphasizing your strengths as a drafter and your strengths as a fantasy player and then melding those with the actual information that we do have, that's going to be the key. So one of the questions that we talked a little bit about in the offseason, anticipating the fact that we would be wrong on a player or two and maybe wrong on a player or two in a big way. And one of the questions that I get asked in season about players that I'm wrong on is, does missing on this guy, and it's either being too high on someone who doesn't play well or not having someone on your board, maybe like last year you don't have a Cooper Cup, does that then change everything that you do going forward? Does it feel like there was a mistake in the process? And so then you have to actually evaluate the process and make sure that there isn't a mistake because there can be. And if you never evaluate what you're doing, then you won't fix those holes. And yet at the same time, my answer is usually no. The vast majority of the time, it's very important to stay with your process because that is the process that has allowed you to get all of the hits and to build all of the super teams. And if you go to a blander approach where you're more or less just using ADP or just trying to get ADP value. And again, if you're going to play 100 leagues and you're just getting ADP value, you're going to have a lot of pretty good teams because you drafted a huge number of players below the value the community had set on them. And I mean, if your goal is to play a huge number and to have some hits, that's going to work because you do get more value than everybody else. That's the benefit of playing the massive number. If you're playing a handful of teams, you want to be drafting your guys at prices that work. And your guys are going to be based on a method for evaluating players and drafting players that allows you to build these really good teams. So uh, I'm trying to think about that in mid-season. And what does that mean for us? Yes, it's a year where drafting players with a wide range of outcomes, really embracing uncertainty, that hasn't been very productive so far. But I also would be surprised if that part completely continues. If we go a full season and players with a wide range of outcomes and young guys who are talented, if they don't emerge and no one emerges and you don't have some league winners coming from that round six to round 15 range, that part would surprise me. Well, and we just talked about Brees Hall, but like we we do have Brees Hall emerging. And, and a few weeks ago, we would have said the rookie receivers are, are going to be the storyline of this season. That That's what it looked like. I think, a really important thing to acknowledge here as well as we think about our process and all that stuff is it's tough on everyone. I saw a really prominent high stakes grinder. I don't want to throw names out or name drop in case this is just sort of a, a throwaway tweet, but tweeted about how it's been very much a grind for them as well. It's been a difficult season for everyone. And that that is an individual who plays in a lot of leagues and is incredibly good. We have a lot of respect for him, but plays differently than we play. Drafts different teams than we draft and the comment was basically all you can really do is you know keep grinding you, like it, it's it's been a tough year for everyone and so we sean I, I i have the same inclination to talk to our listeners and the people that draft like us about it from a strategy perspective and whether we were approaching it correctly or what have you and i've heard from some of my subscribers about whenever you know zero RB basically philosophies don't smash. There's going to be some people who are trying it for the first year and are saying, 
this is this doesn't work. The biggest thing that I want to drive home is it's definitely not just us. Everybody feels this way. I mean, it's across the board, no, really, no matter how you drafted, unless you sort of just got the right guys, which, you know, but like who are even the right guys? We've talked about we don't know that yet. I mean, getting the right guys is, is our goal and is the way that we are looking to approach this. But I think that that's actionable then as we go forward, because as I'm looking at the wide receiver board and I'm looking at Devonte Smith, where there are some questions because of the passing volume in Philadelphia, I would have him there as a buy. You have Jahan Dotson, who now has quarterback questions, and even the scoring that he's gotten so far has been based on these touchdowns that people are going to say, well, then all you have to do is look at Chase Claypool's first 10 games and the entire rest of his career. That's a, a very great example of how fluky that can be. But you have a young guy who was impressive in some ways early is probably not going to get better quarterback play, regardless of who that is. I would have him as a buy. You look at Tyquan Thornton. I mean, maybe you're going to have difficult prices in a lot of shallow and medium leagues. I would expect him to still be on waivers this week. And so a lot of people will have picked him up by the time they listen to this show. But if you weren't in position to pick him up, maybe you can make, you know, almost what feels like a, a meaningless trade at the bottom of your roster with someone else for him. He's someone that could blow up Rashad Bateman. Frustrating because even within this context where the Ravens didn't have a lot of other weapons, Mark Andrews, obviously performing extremely well, didn't do a lot, then has the foot injury. He's someone I would be targeting. You continue to go down. Deontay Johnson, an obvious target. Romeo Dobbs, an obvious target. Whereas some of these other players, you know, like a Jerry Judy, who've now been in the NFL for a while, even though they're still young, I think that we can take some of the information that we have specifically from 2022 and say that there are some big concerns there at this point. Not everybody who is under 25 and has a wide range of outcomes is going to be someone that we're necessarily looking to target. And then the other thing that comes through here is price, right? When we talk about who we want to target in the off season, we're focused extremely heavily on talent and then trying to pick out the talent relative to the price and to kind of talk about the guys that I want, I'm willing to sell some of the off-season beliefs about how offenses are going to work from a play-calling or schematic perspective. Because I think that when we miss there, the upside is absolutely huge. I don't necessarily like to take good, not great players and horrible offenses, which is one of the reasons why Terry McLaurin would never be interesting. Amari Cooper would never be interesting. Now, Cooper has actually done pretty well. He is surprised. But as we're looking through and you're looking at the prices of some of those guys compared to the Seahawks, I mean, I think that you it, was, it makes sense to be skeptical that the Seahawks are going to have a good passing offense. But when you look at the talent of those players and the pricing, so from an actionable standpoint and from a what do we do next standpoint, you're looking for places where you see a lot of uncertainty, and that can be in terms of a young player, or it could be how does the offense work going forward? Because one of your great notes from the previous episode is that on some of these teams, we've seen both really high air yard numbers and really low air yard numbers within the context of the same season. We're just six weeks in, right? Which one of those elements is going to be more relevant or more indicative of the future you have to then decide that for yourself at least to an extent 
but also then throwing in the uncertainty of what if this happens in this direction, I can really benefit. And then what is the price? Is the benefit that I would get worth the price that I have now, either when I'm trying to build the back of my roster, say players 11 through 16, and when I'm trying to go out there and make trades, what do I have to pay to build in this group of players who are going to be relevant to me as we go through this difficult bi-week stretch? I'm excited for the bi-weeks because it's going to be even much more daunting with a low-scoring environment. There are not just going to be guys that you can plug in. That makes it hard for everybody, but I think hard for everybody is good because that's where the depth that you've drafted helps you separate. If it's too easy, if there are too many players, the advantage you get from having a good deep team is watered down simply because you can't separate in the same way. Yeah, I mean, I do think as frustrating as it has felt that we are set up for the breakout explosive player mentality to drive the rest of the season in large part because it's not just the young players, but also the veterans that have not been consistently productive other than the ones that are dropped in the top couple of rounds. Right. I mean, <clears throat> and the ones that you expect to, to be more productive later in the year are the young guys. You mentioned Taekwon Thornton. I was really excited about him instilling signals this week, just from a schematic perspective to, and also just to see them, the, the Patriots willing to throw a little bit more this week. Obviously the running backs were down, the receivers were healthier than they have been, but they used him a lot. In week five, when he came back, it was kind of tough to parse their usage because Nelson Aguilar started that game and got hurt early. Um, and the way that it worked out was Kendrick Bourne's usage really spiked. And I tied that to the Aguilar injury. And then Taekwon being back, he ran routes around 50% or so of the dropbacks and, and Devontae Parker was way down to that 50% range. And so I tied those two together somewhat, but obviously there was a lot of uncertainty this past week. Devontae Parker was back up at a full-time role, which was kind of what you would expect. And Aguilar was still out, but Bourne was completely gone from the offense basically. And you had Thornton still rising quite a bit in his usage the three receivers set of Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, and Thornton makes a lot of sense. You have Parker as the vertical outside receiver, downfield, contested catch player. And then the way they used Thornton with some carries and some catches around the line of scrimmage, they gave him multiple opportunities in close he scores the two touchdowns, one rushing, one receiving. I, you know, naturally, the cliche thing compared to the Devo Samuel role. I said maybe it's more like the Curtis Samuel role, not the Devo Samuel role. Um, but also like Tyree Kill, who I think you've comped him to before, just with the speed element that it can bring to the offense and the way that the Dolphins are using Hill so much around the line of scrimmage, but also vertically. He has the explosiveness downfield. We were talking a little bit before the first show about Taekwon. Uh, and 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 you you or I mentioned also mentioned Jalen Waddle, who's another guy. A lot of catches around the line of scrimmage, but we have always known has the athleticism, and we've seen a few more explosive plays this year. Some of those comps are lofty for for what Thornton will be, but the element of speed that he brings is, first of all, is clearly what the Patriots were targeting in the draft in the second round. Second of all, their usage of him being pretty solid in his first two games of the year indicates they have a plan for him. And that is a rare trait that, from a schematic perspective, makes sense that, that they need that or want that as part of their passing game to open things up, not just for him, but for everyone. That's an offense to keep an eye on. And I was kind of optimistic about maybe I just want some offenses to start to be more fun, but 
the Patriots feels like one that could grow into an actually fun team. But that's another team that we know can run the ball and will run the ball in positive scripts. And this gets back to the huge fluctuations in air yards and things. I do think a lot of the results we're seeing are more script dependent than ever before, but we're seeing teams get out ahead and get really conservative, et cetera. In trying to look at some of the air yards numbers you mentioned on the defensive side, I noticed the Colts have given up two games out of only four total where their opponent had fewer than a hundred air yards. It's like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe the Colts are doing something to really limit the passing volume of opposing defenses. They were in week four and week six, the Jaguars this past week in week six, the Titans in week four. Okay, that's further interesting. Maybe this is a trend lately. So I go back and look at week five. They played the Broncos. The Broncos had their most air yards of the season in that game. So it does, and, and even weeks one through three, there wasn't a discernible trend. They gave up a decent amount of air yards in weeks one through three. It doesn't feel like even on the defensive side or the offensive side that there's any consistency here. A lot of it, I think, is driven by game environment, where they're at. Teams that are leading uh, are going to run more, and teams that are behind are going to throw more. And even that has been difficult to predict this year. We've had more underdogs, big underdogs, you know, cover this year spreads and, and win outright than most NFL seasons. The percentage of, of, of large underdogs to actually be competitive this year has been greater. And so you have a lot of elements there, you know, across the board. This is more the stuff that we're talking about week one. But in, in sort of thinking through what has to be like, what has to normalize and you know, regress toward something that is consistent as we get further into the season. All of that uncertainty and all this, you know, unsettled foundation of the 2022 season does seem to set up for breakthrough young players making their mark for the first time being the ones that actually establish because that is something we tend to see in the second halves of seasons. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, and that part will be exciting. One of the things that you talked about at great length this offseason, and I think that we, we actually didn't talk about that part too much in the first show this week, but just all the changes in the offseason with so many new coaches, so many new quarterbacks, even in a situation with the New England Patriots. Well, you don't have those two changes, but they change offenses. You're going to have a little bit of a slow build into 2022 as teams find themselves. And as they do, we're going to be able to anchor to those things a little bit more, at least feel like there's a little bit firmer foundation under our feet. That's a but great the, point. And, and look at a team like the Dolphins, who for three weeks in a row 
have lost the quarterback they game planned to start all week in the first half of the game, and they played the backup for a more extended period of the game. They did that with Teddy Bridgewater taking over for Tua in week four, for Skylar Thompson taking over for Bridgewater in week five, and with Bridgewater taking over for Skylar Thompson in week six. Three weeks in a row, the quarterback they actually game planned for and were installing the offense around. It was not the quarterback who actually played. That's a, I mean, that goes back to small sample stuff, but that's a team that through three weeks we were really excited about. Got to give them a little bit of a pass on this three-game losing streak considering they've changed quarterbacks in the first half of every game. And have to give the receivers a lot of credit, have to give Teddy Bridgewater a lot of credit. Yeah, they lost that game, but that coaching staff looks fantastic. You talk about the Patriots, and the Patriots have been a lot of fun. This was another situation where I felt like there was uncertainty that you could benefit from in the offseason, and I really liked both of these backs. We talked about Ramondre Stevenson a ton in terms of his incredible peripherals. He's someone who was a very trendy player despite the concerns about this offense. Also recommended Damian Harris when their prices really flip-flop and got to be really pretty skewed by the time that the season started. I had a lot of people asking me, aren't you concerned about how bad their offense has been in training camp? Do you, do you want to be on these guys? Should we keep drafting them? And I said, I mean, I'm concerned simply from the perspective that you can always be wrong. And I never want to tell people to do things that turn out to not work for them. So, I mean, it's not like you're not concerned, but was I concerned from the perspective of, did it seem likely? I mean, not really. I mean, this is the New England Patriots. This is Bill Belichick. I think that selling these narratives is going to work out for you most of the time. And then as we've watched over the last month, it's been a lot of fun, even though they have had to use a late round third string quarterback, right? So you go 2019 to 2021, you can pull these stats up in the Rotoviz team explorer. I think that the team splits app 2.2 points per drive, 25 points per game, just a hair under that. Over the first two weeks of 2022, they're down there at 1.1 point per drive, 12 points per game. And everybody's feeling, okay, well, this is a disaster. They're going to have to change everything. The last four weeks, right back up to 2.2 points per drive, especially within the context of 2022. Those are encouraging numbers because they've had some of these late game situations where they've gotten some quicker scores or more possessions, 29 points per game. You mentioned Thornton and the workload there. One of the things about that that is so cool is that if you go through and watch his Baylor stats, I mean, he's getting behind the defense deep. This idea that, I mean, he'll just be used underneath. I mean, I don't think that's going to play out at all. So when you see some of these manufactured touches on top of it, and that was one of the cool things that came out of training camp. And then I had Thornton on basically every best ball team. You which, were on Thornton got a lot. Hurt, man. Because then you're thinking, okay, well, everybody who has the more like rationally balanced approach of not drafting the same player in eight, round 18 every time, they're like, yeah, that's why, <laughs> because people get hurt. Funny story on Thornton, because you you wanted to take him a lot, and I questioned you on it. Um, but on our dynasty team, maybe we we're in the fourth round. I had to convince you pretty hard that we need to take Romeo Dobbs over Thornton. And a couple of weeks ago, I felt really, really smart about that. Dobbs still looks like I think we we can feel like both of those were really good fourth round rookie picks. We didn't end up getting Thornton. We tried to get them both. We tried to get Thornton a little bit later in that draft. Didn't end up getting him. But then you traded for him. You made a, a really smart acquisition a couple of weeks ago to get him and stash him on our IR. So we do now have both. And when you got him, I was I was very excited that you got him. But I thought back to that rookie draft and thought I, I got shot on this one. That I convinced him to take Dobbs. And at this point, not sure that I got you on that one. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure I would take Thornton right now, honestly, over Dobbs. Dobbs has been good and is playing a huge role. I'm very excited about him. Maybe I, I don't know. They'd be close because I'm still very excited about Dobbs. But I think you have to be really encouraged about Thornton and how quickly they assimilated him into the offense and what that speaks to their plans for him. And go back to the fact that he was a second-round pick and and has that draft capital behind him. He's going to be a part of their offense. He is. And that was the cool thing that came out of training camp is that, I mean, he looked good in the preseason games. He's getting open underneath. When you it, the, the big red flag for him still is just that he's very slender and – probably is not going to ever be a huge volume guy. There are some contextual reasons, even within the offense, why probably not going to be a huge volume guy. In my write-up on Monday, talking about the top scores of the wide receivers for the week and how it was such a fun mix, you've got the stars, you've got the bounce-back guys, you've got Tyquan Thornton doing it on lesser volume, and his game is fluky. It's fluky, but it's also so encouraging for a young player. And when you look through it, it's like, yeah, I mean, on that kind of volume and that type of role, is he likely to score two touchdowns very often? Obviously not. And yet it could have been three. Then on that last drive, when Ramondre Stevenson scores the play either right before that or two plays before that was another handoff to Thornton, very similar to the one he had scored the touchdown on. I mean, he could have had two rushing touchdowns in this game. They gave him the ball a second time at the goal line. Yep. His receiving touchdown came on kind of an extended play. The play prior was a target to Thornton as well in the end zone. That was more of a design play where it looked like he was more of like the earlier read in the play. So, I mean, he still caught the TD there, but it also wasn't really a fluky receiving touchdown. I mean, it was back-to-back targets for him. So a lot of opportunity for him in close. So Ben, in terms of some specific players, Thornton, a guy we're very excited about. We are excited about some of the other young receivers One of the things that was interesting to me is that after a couple of weeks, there were a lot of zero RBS running backs who were hitting, but not specifically my guys. And then over the next month, those players did extremely well. Shout out Ken Walker. (laughs) Walker looked good. Walker looked good. He's, he's someone where in the leagues you have him, you're very excited. The leagues you don't, you're thinking, how can I somehow figure out a way to talk the Walker manager out of him. It's like, what would be the right argument there? Walker and Penny, the top two in the zero RB list that we're always talking about, they were one and two and people didn't like that because they didn't like the Seahawks offense. You had the faith in Geno Smith. You had the faith in the offense. Huge hat tip to you on that. I mean, not just on Walker, but on Walker and Penny because Penny had a couple good games too. We don't know for sure he's going to get her. He looked like a hit as well. Now Walker looks like a hit. The zero RB list always smashes, but still got to give you a hat tip whether the the top two guys and they absolutely are right. And especially right on the team level concerns. Yeah. Well, it's nice of you to say that. I mean, it's, it's always fun when, when things you're looking for hit. And it is one of these things too, that I think emphasizes the big picture and emphasizes that you have to be constantly self-evaluating, but not to the point where you give up any sense of like who you are and what you're good at and what you know works over a longer timeline. Because if you watch the NFL for a couple of weeks and your plays don't hit and you're constantly changing, then you're only on the things that have already happened, which is no good for you. You have to be willing to have a little bit of patience and to know that as things go forward, I mean, you can play this entire season out and Rashad Penny stays healthy and Ken Walker takes plays from him and, you know, maybe that 
the Seahawks weren't as dynamic this past week. That was a little bit frustrating. I mean, they weren't as dynamic in the passing game. I mean, there are ways that this doesn't work, right? You can't be so focused on specifics of this player or that player and whether it works that you start making consistent mistakes. What we're looking to do is make consistently successful plays and the types of plays that give you huge upside and then be patient with them. But as we talked about patience and yet aggressiveness, where is that balance? How do you manage that tension? It's something I always like to throw out the tennis metaphor where you have to do those two things in concert. And it's so easy to do the opposite, to be aggressive when you need to be patient and patient when you need to be aggressive and just be terrible. And that's something that as a college tennis player, I, I struggled with. It's something that comes across in all walks of life. Ben, as we go through and we're playing this next month, you can't just continue to lose. I mean, there are limited options. And well, you can. in some cases, well, in some cases, you're just, you're not going to have any, any out. There'll be no way to do it. But we do know that you're going to have to be aggressive yes. in terms of getting points into your lineup over the next month during the bye weeks. If you want to be in position to compete for titles, if it's your home league or trying to get yourself into the playoffs, to win a massive tournament. Either way, you're going to have to score some points. Yeah, as we think about how we're playing this, and and Sean, you always do a great job of, of pointing out on the show that you're sort of just describing how you would do it. I mean, we're obviously giving advice too, but we're not trying to tell anyone how they have to do it is, is sort of the way that I would describe it. As far as going forward, I think you put that incredibly well, talking about this issue that a lo- I think a lot of people in my industry, in our industry as analysts of fantasy football do, certainly a lot of players do, which is sort of just chasing the last trend and, and you wind up chasing your tail and you're always late. And, and you kind of talked about sticking to your guns. I see this with the very best DFS players that they wind up hitting the week that something that hasn't been showing for a long time does finally hit and they win a big tournament because they stuck to their guns through that player struggling for a really long time expecting that rebound you know that dfs is a good example i think because it's a weekly game and you see a lot of people that struggle at dfs are constantly shifting where they're how they're going to approach dfs every week you're overcorrecting basically and you're also following the crowd too much you're never going to be the one who differentiates doing that you know, I've used the golf swing metaphor before, but it's a little bit like going out there and hitting a bad first drive and then making a tweak to your drive on the first tee box rather than realizing sometimes you're just going to hit a bad drive. Once you start tweaking your swing, anyone who's played a lot of golf, Sean, you like to make the tennis metaphors, but once you start tweaking your swing, you're done. You're going to hit bad shots all day. You're going to start spraying all over the all over the course. You pull a shot left, you're going to start slicing right as you start to make these adjustments on the course. You have to just let yourself have a miss and then continue to try to execute the way that you want to play when we talk about the strategy you mentioned earlier the strategy and i i kind of went in a different direction was saying well i feel like basically every strategy is not working but when we talk about it's just a difficult season but when we talk about our particular strategy and it maybe not working and i, I kind of hesitate to say that because one of the things that we are criticized for this offseason was taking both a tight end and a quarterback high if you do that in high stakes formats that was a very specific criticism i saw a few different times taking both a quarterback and a tight end in the first six rounds. If you did that with the right quarterback and tight end, you're in a great spot. I have a couple of teams that did that that are in that, – that I talked about this in Stealing Signal. Some of my better teams I don't feel like are that great of teams, but they're in a great spot because I have like a Lamar, Mark Andrews main event team, and it has some other you know very interesting pieces. But 
you hit the right guys in, in that. Like some of this stuff was actually, you know, accurate. I have some super flex, some, some subscribers that are playing super flex that ended up with like Lamar and Hertz. And they're very, cause I was telling a lot of people in super flex, take two of the early quarterbacks, actually attack the quarterback position. Anyway, point being the zero RB strategy, depending on how you sort of applied it and what your league settings are and who you landed on might actually be working for you. But for a lot of people not working, especially if you landed on Lance and Pitts and, and some of the other disappointments, if you try to change everything, Pitts is a great one to bring back up. I've seen a lot of people talk about trading him and getting off of him and things. The trades are selling very, very low and they feel emotional. They feel like trying to get off a piece that you just don't want on your team anymore. There's a very good chance that Kyle Pitts does not have a good season at this point. It's not been great. We've talked about it. There's not a lot of stuff on the team level that looks optimistic. At the same time, how that team wins that drafted Kyle Pitts in the second round is not trading him for pennies on the dollar. You're already behind the eight ball, and now your roster's upside is worse. You're now not able to score the points you need to come back. How that team wins, unfortunately, if you're really mad at Kyle Pitts, is Kyle Pitts actually having some good games and turning it around a little bit? I mean, if you can get a good trade out of him, it's always price related. But when I when I see some of these trades, I'm like, well, now you've guaranteed that this team is not going to win. Now, I mean, it, it's been a tough start for you. But now you've went and traded a player that has the potential for a stretch to be a difference maker at that position because he still does at the tight end position at any future stretch. It could have started this week. He had one touchdown. He got uh, a, a pass, but they only threw 14 passes, but he did get a pass play on one where a defensive hold was called on uh, uh, on Fred Wagner and Pitts was open and, and Mariota got hit in the pocket and couldn't get the throw to him. They ended up being just a, a defensive holding call. But if he would have got the ball out to Pitts, it's probably a 30, 40 yard gain minimum. I couldn't really see what was going on down the field, but he had a, a potential play where it looked like it was designed for him. First play of the drive. And he was, he beat his man. He got, Tugged on his jersey, but could have had a big play. Point is, he's still this athlete. He's still this player. I think when you are in a rock, you have a roster that has Kyle Pitts that's struggling, and you're not going to get great trade value out of him if you're in a league where, you know, if people are still willing to buy really high on him, there's creative things you can do. But if you're not going to get good trade value out of him, you have to recognize that the path for this team to winning is continuing to make that bet. You're not going to save your season this year by pivoting mid-season on a lot of these players and the specific ones that you took, the breakout players that you took that were going to be your core. If that's if that was your philosophy and it's struggling, you you have to, I think. I'm not saying you can't make any moves, and I'm really beating around the bush on this, but you have to, to some degree, trust that your strategy had the potential to work from the beginning, right? even if it looks dire now, rather than completely pivoting in a way that saps your, your team of any potential upside and any potential path to getting back. And then similarly, as we look ahead to 2023, I would also say you should still try this again next year because we might be in an atmosphere next year now where a lot of people pivot back away from the zero RB philosophy, early receivers. We think quarterbacks are going to go higher I think the the Nick Chubb outcome is going to lead to a lot of people feeling more comfortable with safe running backs, especially if, as I was describing earlier, if the running back scoring stays down, the wrong conclusions are going to be drawn about running backs that can score 18, 19, 20 points per game because those are going to look like better seasons than they really were. And so then people are going to say, you got to take these early running backs. You got to take Joe Mixon. 
that type of player because he had, you know, a, a starting role all year and was an opportunity based hit, but I'm putting hit in air quotes. Those types of reactions can happen next year in a way that that's when you then want to be on zero RB again. Right. And so things are going to ebb and flow. There's no certainties with anything. This is a very, very like high variance, small sample hobby we have, but the last thing you want to do is veer just because things started to go bad and try to follow something late that you think is the new trend, especially like when a lot of our followers and we were fortunate to know over the last couple of years have done really well. You had a couple of successful years in 2020 and 2021. Sean, you and I had a couple of very successful years personally. 2022 might just not be our year, but you don't make the pivot mid-season in a way that limits your ability to have any chance to win this year because it could still be this year. That's what we talked about all, all show. And you also don't give it up for next year. But I mean, that, that's maybe a little bit more defensible. I, I, I really think in season, dismantling rosters of their potential upside with trades for guys who have you know very workload elevated roles so far, veterans that are not going to be key you know, difference makers the rest of the year is not how you're going to save your season this year. Yeah, I don't, uh, I mean, I take myself out of the zero RB discussion in terms of should you do it, shouldn't you do it? I'd like to see fewer people do it because it's more dynamic that way. And I love it when it's more contrarian. It feels to me like that part of it is working extremely well this year. So I'd be surprised if there's a huge backlash against that part. I think the things you said about players you missed on are crucial and i mean in some ways this is irrelevant in high stakes formats because you can't make these trades but as long as the overall scoring context will support your other players hitting some then there are some benefits to being on someone who misses in the first six weeks because a lot of those teams will capitulate in one way or another won't be as aggressive on waivers won't be as aware of their start sets could end up starting someone on a buy during the bye weeks it's hard to be as engaged with your bad teams and if you have some of those guys and you can get them into the tournament then you get the dfs element of now i have a guy other people aren't on i mean are the stars that you picked in the first two rounds that missed i mean some of them that we don't like were i mean you, we feel comfortable saying well you shouldn't have picked that guy other people who aren't on the people that we have that maybe hit or miss are going to say i mean you shouldn't be on it. but are the stars that you had a good thesis for in the beginning are they likely to keep missing over the rest of this year over next year it's interesting too when you look at it from a dynasty perspective and you look at some of the greatest dynasty players when you think of someone like a Ryan McDowell, for example, and you look at some of his teams and you think, okay, well, how do those players have those teams? And this kind of goes back to what I like to recommend, what you and I like to talk about in terms of perpetual reloading. And especially within a six-week stretch, you can have a team that has a lot of young players and don't score particularly well. If you have some guys that you're stashing like a Burks right now who's hurt or a Williams and maybe you needed that production. You had to give up production to get those guys and you're not scoring particularly well. And you're thinking, well, in-season production actually does matter. You can't be building your team purely for trade value. And yet over the course of time and you're looking at teams and you're saying, well, how did that manager ever have that team? It must be because the league is bad. 
or the other managers weren't trying. And rarely is that the case. I mean, you do get some lopsided trades that are frustrating if you're not the one benefit from benefiting from it. But it's having that long view of being consistently willing to buy low on players who have these impeccable resumes and go through a stretch. And you mentioned in some of the cases on these players who are down through six weeks, when you look at their peripherals, they're actually still really good, especially if a player has good peripherals. There's absolutely no reason to sell low on that player at any point. And if you can, buy and buy and buy. And some people are going to be like, every time someone has a down stretch, then all of the dynasty you know, pundits out there are like, buy. It's like, I mean, you can't just do it because if everybody says buy, then obviously you don't have the actual market that you're looking for, but you do. Because it's impossible not to be emotional and make some bad decisions. As you look at this, you just try and avoid as many of those bad decisions as possible. If you can remove the emotion in the short term, you will have super teams in the long term. Yeah, I think that's well said. It applies, in my mind, immediately to Kyle Pitts. I saw him traded in Dynasty League. Somebody said they wanted to trade him. And I sent an offer right away. I mean, I think... He's the perfect example of that. Great profile, still very young. Very good One third round pick. What's that? One third round pick. No, he went for a first plus. I mean, he went for a lot, but probably still not what he was worth in a tight end premium league. Uh, and I offered a first plus. I was trying to get him. But, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you're in a league where you can get him for less than that, you, you have to do that, right? And over time, I mean, it's not something, too, where I'm saying you should try and lose a lot or be – okay with losing a lot but in the short term don't make moves that cannibalize your roster when you're looking at dynasty leagues and you see the two or three managers who have super teams and everybody else you're trying to figure out like how did they get where they are because they're not even really rebuilding they just have a bunch of low scoring veterans if you have low scoring veterans you're nowhere your goal is to build a team that is so strong that if you needed to bench pits for a stretch you could i mean you've got so many weapons so much depth you don't even have to worry that much about starting lineup decisions because you're starting almost exclusively players who would be first three picks, first three round picks in startups. You just load those guys out there. And yeah, I mean, you can have some down weeks, but you also have all of these 200 point games and the rest of the league just can't compete with you there. So again, take the long view, continue to load up on good players by any time that a player goes through one of these down stretches and be excited about having some of those guys on redraft teams because you're going to have a unique and powerful lineup at the end of the season, almost for sure. These these uh, first two episodes of the week this week have got me more encouraged just to, to see what happens. I'm From a analyst perspective, from a fan of fantasy football, I'm very interested to see what is going to happen the rest of the way. Because I do very firmly believe that what we have seen has not go- is not going to define this year. Trying to figure that out is the job. And I, I don't have a lot of clear answers of like, this is going to work out well for this team or that team. There's a lot of players that are intriguing. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, if Kyle Pitts has some life of it in him. If... Some of these teams we've talked about, the Patriots or, or whoever, wind up being a pretty fun offense because there's potential for that, right? If if the Jets ever start to to be a fun offense with Zach Wilson or center, maybe it's just you know Ben his first couple starts back and they start to throw a little more and we start to get some life out of not just Garrett Wilson who 
continues to earn targets at a really great rate per route. And, and you can't really be very concerned about Wilson, but also Elijah Moore, who hasn't earned targets at a great rate per route on top of now losing some routes. And there's some concerns for him. And I want to see him play well the rest of this year. Can that offense be fun? You know, what happens with the Dolphins with Tua back and do they get going again and rolling? And there's just so many storylines that are exciting. I mean, I just talked about three teams in the AFC East alone, but there's seven other divisions that are all of these teams from an identity perspective, it feels like are still up in the air a little bit. And so it'll be uh it'll be a fun next few months as, as we move forward. It always is. And I mean, I think that the disappointing part of being a fan and watching some bad games can skew how some of the fantasy stuff feels too. So when you think about last week and the primetime games and you have that gross Thursday night game, then you have Sunday night where Cooper Rush really falls back to earth, a frustrating game, especially if you're a Cowboys fan. And then the Monday night debacle, that can push you in the direction of thinking the football is bad and fantasy is bad or at least boring for 2022. That's not the case. There've been so many really cool storylines. Some of them buried a little bit in low volume, but the excitement is coming. I mean, football is too much fun. The NFL is too good of a product, even with some of the scoring and officiating gaps that we've talked about. It just, I can't wait for the rest of the season. I will note that, some of this stuff with the two high safeties and everything we talked about on the first show, it started mid-year last year, and we still had a really exciting stretch run last year. We had the Bengals show a lot. We had the Chiefs-Bills playoff game, and the Bengals run all the way to the Super Bowl. and The Rams played well in the playoffs. The playoffs were really exciting last year. These offenses have to find their answers, and they have to find a groove. And you talked a little bit about a lot of shifting this offseason. Some of these teams probably just needed a month or so. We have shorter preseasons now too. Something I've thought a lot about. A lot of lot fewer preseason reps for the starters. I think now that we only have three preseason games, they seem to not play at all in the final preseason game, and don't really play in the first one. So they play like a little bit in the second preseason game, and that's about it. They go into week one. Whereas in the past, they'd get a little bit of time in maybe the second and third preseason game. These teams might just need some time to gel. I, yeah, you look at last year and you have. That optimism was there. I'm, what, our optimism proved to be—I don't know how to say that—but it was—it was a fun stretch run in 2021, relative to sort of how it felt for a stretch in the middle of the year. We're in that stretch right now, but th- there's going to be good football ahead. Yeah, and one of the cool things about some of these young teams and run-heavy teams winning is that they're going to have more incentive to develop in a direction where they can actually be competitive in the postseason. When you talk about the New York Jets, and maybe it's just the first couple of games for Zach Wilson, I mean, that team has maybe the most talent in the NFL on the offensive side of the ball outside of the quarterback position. They continue to win, and they're going to be looking to, okay, how do we build a team that can also be competitive against the great teams at the end of the year? And they're not the only one. There are multiple teams in that kind of situation where they're going to develop, they're going to be better, they're going to be more exciting, and they're good, and they're young, and they've got – I mean, we've given some criticism to some of the new coaches, but also some of the new coaches doing a fantastic job. Those guys are going to grow in the jobs. Their teams are going to grow with them, which is something we've seen from the Jets. And 
I just Giants too. Wandale Robinson. I mean, as you were saying that, Brian Dable, good coach. Yeah. He looked good. We benched someone who scored a lot of points in one of our leagues last week in favor of Wandale. And in the very beginning, I was like, well, that's another one. And then Wandale started to put some points out there. Got me feeling good again. Wandale is going to be a big part going forward. Yeah. 2022. Going to be the best fantasy season ever. Then that's where we'll leave it. You want to have a positive, exuberant, maybe vaguely unrealistic thesis to continue to conclude every show. That'll do us for today. On Stealing Bananas, I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretsch. Follow him at Yards Per Gretsch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. Sign up for Stealing Lines. Join us at Rotoviz. We would love to have you there. Leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to the feed. All of that stuff that you guys have been better than our wildest imaginations at. You guys are the key to see the bands. We love you. We'll talk to you soon.